hello and welcome to the Employment Law Podcast. I'm Brian Powles, Director of PCC Employment Lawyers. I'm joined again today by my colleagues, Emily Riera and Essie Marivara. And although they tell me they're not happy, apparently <laughs> they're content to be doing the podcast. Not bad. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about social media. It's become a huge part of workplace law in a number of different ways. There's really three things we're going to talk about. The first one is employees' use of social media in their own time may damage the employer's reputation and the extent to which employers can take disciplinary action for social media use. And that's what, uh, an area that we see as social media coming up a lot, normally in the context of um, unfair dismissal cases. The second thing is really where the, the risks associated with social media in the context of sort of bullying or harassment or interaction between employees, which again creates a number of risks for employers and is a whole separate category. Finally, just the issue of social media use being excessive and a threat to productivity um, as well, which is another one that comes up often in unfair dismissal contexts. Something comes up a lot at PCC lawyers because of because of you guys on TikTok and Facebook and LinkedIn all day instead of working, constantly catching you doing so. Social media, I mean, it's revolutionised the world. What's your first memory of social media? I start with you. Oh, man. No, I wouldn't even know. How old were you and what was the platform you used? Okay, so I grew up in Finland. So it was the Finnish version (laughs) of Facebook uh, in like maybe 2007 or so, 2008 maybe. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Young? Maybe 12, 13? Yeah, I'm old. I didn't use it till I was 30. 30 something, 2008, 2009, I guess, Facebook. I didn't know Finland had, I thought Facebook was global. I didn't realize Finland had its own. No, I mean, Facebook was global, but like when uh, back, you know, back in 2007, it's just that this thing called, it was called IRC Gallery. Um, and that kind yeah. of, um, it, it was more like Instagram because it was more about the photos and commenting than it was about yeah, yeah, right. posting, you know, on your yeah. newsfeed. Um, and you, Emily, when was the first time and what was it? Yeah, I think exactly the same, 2007. And yeah. because I was traveling to London and when I get back, I just wanted to stay in touch with my friends over there. Yeah. yeah. And they were already using Facebook. Yeah. Well, that's how I got into yeah. Facebook as well, because I moved to Australia and that's how I kept in touch with everybody in Finland. Well, it's funny. And I think that one of the things we're seeing and we're going to see as we move forward is that people are now entering the workforce that probably can't remember the first time they used yeah. social yeah. media in the sense that it's now that the generation of newest workers, it's been part of their life forever. And I can't tell you how happy I am that, social media didn't exist in my 20s. <laughs> the critical one, if we start with the first one, um, I, I, and, and I think this is the most common area of social media issues for employers, is that issue of inappropriate social media use in their own time leading to disciplinary consequences. It's been established by the Commission that misusing social media is a valid reason for dismissal. And in particular, um, in, in the unfair dismissal context, but in particular where that social media post has the possibility of causing reputational damage to the employer. Now, I think reputational damage is an interesting one in the commission. I think often there's a requirement in proving because the employer has to prove valid reason 
Often there's a requirement to prove that that reputational damage has actually occurred. But I think certainly where there's really an egregious misuse of social media, and particularly in circumstances where that person's identity can be connected to the workplace, um, I, I think generally speaking, the Commission will uphold the fairness of a, of a dismissal in most circumstances where there's been that egregious misuse. I think it's important to recognise that context is, is key. Is the social media post publicly viewable? Is it on a, on a group that's viewed by multiple people? Is it a private group? Was it a private message or a group message? Um, and all of those different factors on the Commission will consider. I think the, the, the critical thing, as I say, is, is the, the gravity of the conduct and the extent to which it has that impact to damage the reputation of the employer. And all of those things would need to be proved in the Commission. There's been a few cases. Did you look at it? One of you guys looked at one of the recent ones. Was there like the ACTU employee? And that's only, I think that was a couple of weeks ago or a month ago or something. Who looked at that? Yeah, that's me. Uh, that was uh, Corey and the ACTU. Um, so the Fair Commission made this decision. It was back in February. Then the case was back before the full bench in July. So just like oh, okay, yeah. So it's the beginning of the year, but the appeal. Yeah. That's right. The full bench affirmed the original decision. I think. Yeah. And what were the posts in that in that situation? Because I think that's a really modern example of the type of thing that will be a valid reason. Yeah. So there was uh, different Facebook posts, not only one, uh, yeah. but I guess in a really short period of time um, because the dismissal occurred like 24 hours after the last post. Um, and so the posts were but different things, but one of them shared on an anti-vaccine mandate campaign. Uh, another one uploaded an aggression against police, um, a post most domestic violence and disparage black people and vilify transgender people. So, yeah, yeah. there was, was a lot into yeah. it. Yeah. So a whole suite of different offensive yeah. conduct. Yeah. And, and that's interesting. And I, and I guess that that's, that's an organisation that on one level prides itself on being quite militant and outspoken because that's part of its role. But at the same time, a lot of those views are quite inconsistent with the ACTU's position on those things, which I, I think it makes it as, as particularly egregious in a yeah, way. Exactly. So yeah, exactly. So that's what the Deputy President Mason found and saying right. that in a way that was not the view of the employees that were in cause, really, but more that those views were inconsistent with the ACTU public position. And yeah. they were also contrary to his obligation under the ACTU Code of Conduct and its harassment, discrimination and workplace bullying policy. Yeah. yeah. And in that particular case, I think it's interesting to note that the employee expressed this view outside of his working hours. So it was not in the course of his employment. And his Facebook account did not identify him as an ACTU employee, but the account right. was a public account. 
Yeah, and I, and look, I think that that's that's a really good good case study, really good example. I mean, I think the other thing too that, that you see from time to time is, which can be a little bit tricky, is posts that directly criticise the employer. So I think that's that's quite interesting in the sense that that can, I mean, that absolutely can be regarded as as reputational damage. I mean, where where your employee actually goes out and and publicly criticizes and I, and I think that we take into account on the flip side I mean the one that springs to mind is the dismissal I, f- I forget the citation but do you remember the guy that made the the hit the Hitler meme about during an enterprise bargaining he made that um, one of those online Hitler memes and, and at first instance it was held to be not unfair um, but but that was overruled on the grounds that I think context was really important there's so many of those memes and, and in a sense, the, the, the message from the full bench was that the employer in enterprise bargaining needed to have a bit of a thicker skin. But certainly I think where you're directly criticising or the, the employer in a way that could damage the employer's reputation commercially, um, I think that's going to be a factor. But I think the other factors, again, like any unfair dismissal, it, it comes down to the employee's service, their performance to date, any personal or mitigating circumstances that that may be relevant and all of those things will always be considered. So again, there's no rule of thumb. There's a case, I think a few years ago, Daniel Starr and Department of Human Services, where there was a derogatory comments about the employer and customers calling them, I think, spastics and junkies, something like that, which again is really derogatory and offensive. In that case, the employee was re- was ordered to be reinstated because there was strong indications that the conduct was was one off and because of the very positive and long-term relationship the employee had otherwise had. So it's a good example of, I certainly think that in many ways, those comments are just as derogatory as the ACTU guys ones, but context is everything and always is with unfair dismissal. So I guess that's the the first one really is to to just treat it like any other misconduct issue and go, go through the process. But certainly as social media grows and I think we don't seem to be getting as a population, we don't seem to be getting any wiser <laughs> about how we're using it. <laughs> so Understand it's going to continue yeah. to be an issue. Yeah. I guess the bullying and harassment thing is the next one. Yeah. Um, sort of social media connected to the workplace, sort of whether or not it's in the actual workplace or in communication with co-workers of outside of working hours, which I think you're going to talk about, Essie, because it's a little bit of a grey area. But it, it, it can be a really toxic platform for particular behavior um discriminatory harassing behavior and look we're seeing that in schools with teenagers to chronic levels it's no surprise that it flows over into the workplace as well and i think you know for instance there's there's a case where you know the commissioners upheld the dismissal of a worker who sent um you know pornographic videos for instance to 19 co-workers outside of work hours um, even though there was no formal complaint, that was considered a valid reason for dismissal. But there's also risks, as always, the risks of bullying and harassment. And you were going to talk to that a little bit, Essie, in terms of what those risks are. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, as we know, employers have an obligation to provide a safe workplace. Um, and that's not just in terms of physical welfare, but also mental health. Um, and so employers can actually be held vicariously liable if one of their employees uh, bullies or harasses another one of their employees. Um, And so, yeah, social media can definitely extend that liability 
to behavior that happens outside of the workplace or outside of working hours. And it is a bit of an interesting one because Section 789 of, of, of the Fair Work Act provides that the Fair Work Commission uh, has a power to intervene in uh, bullying by issuing a stop bullying order. Uh, so long as the Fair Work Commission's first satisfied that the worker has been uh, bullied at work um, and that there's a risk that the bullying will continue. And then there's similar provisions for sexual harassment as well, um, which are relatively yeah. new. Now, the meaning for bullied at work is covered under Section 789 FD of the Fair Work Act. Um, and that simply provides that a worker is bullied at work if, while the worker is at work, the individual repeatedly behaves unreasonably towards the worker and that behavior creates a risk to the health and safety of the worker. Which is a really useful definition, I think. And and I don't think a, a, a definition, I mean, that jurisdiction in itself is pretty new. I think it was 2014 or 2015 that that yeah. came in. And prior to that, I mean, certainly bullying existed in the absence of that statutory definition, but I think they've they've done quite well with that. And And really it's it's repeatedly um, is the key. There needs to be forget. an aspect yeah. of, of, repet- of repetition, which is not the case for the new sexual harassment um, definition. And sexual harassment doesn't need to be repeated. It can be one-off, but certainly repeated. But absolutely, I think we can all, when you hear that definition, relate to how social media use amongst work colleagues can easily slip into that definition of bullying without question. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and actually, so there was a 2015 full bench decision. It, it was in the matter of Bowker and DP World Melbourne Limited, where three employees applied for a stop bullying order from the Fair Commission. And in the decision, the full bench provided quite a bit of guidance on the scope of what bullied at work means. Uh, because right. that is the defi- definition. It's not a definition for what bullying means. It's what bullied at work means. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so specifically, the full bench defined the term at work to include any work, any time uh, that you're performing work. So that's irrespective of where you are or what time it is. Um, and even when you're not performing work, uh, but if you're doing something else that you've been permitted to do by your employer, like taking a tea or lunch break, um, that also falls under the term at work. Um, which is interesting because the effect of this is that it doesn't matter when the comments or posts are made on social media. What matters is when the worker accesses those bullying or harassing messages, so long as they're at work. So um, the bullying comments could be made after hours, but if the worker has com- has commenced their work day um, and then they stop to, you know, say, take their 10-minute break and check their social media um, and see the bullying comments, then that's what's captured under Section 789FD of the Fair Work Act, and yeah. that's bullied at work. But if the employee didn't see those messages until after they've clocked off, then it would not constitute bullying at work, which is... Yeah. which seems like it's got to be an unintended loophole. Yeah. That, that seems very It's been confirmed me. since. So I think they've done changes yeah. to the Fair Work Act and they've said that the Fair Work Commission interpreted that correctly, that they that's the scope of it. Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then there's obviously there's been other cases where, you know, people unfriend people on social media and whether or not that constitutes bullying. And again, it's usually like it's not the one act, but if there's multiple acts together, the repeatedness of it. Yeah. yeah. But I suppose the other thing is the stop bullying orders. But I guess also there's, you know, really the, the big risk is a workers' compensation risk and a psychic, you know, uh, a psychological or psychiatric yeah. injury occasioned at work. And there's a relatively strict liability, as we know, for that. 
um, which can be quite difficult. So that all right. And well, I guess the last point then is around productivity yeah. again. And you know, this is really the issue that we struggle with at PCC lawyers with you well, guys. Well, Brian can't TikTok-ing. get off TikTok. That's right. That's <laughs> he's constantly telling us to do TikTok dances, and we're like, Brian, I know. We need to work. <laughs> Well, we got to get that routine. That's the, that. <laughs> yeah, so if any clients are listening and you're wondering where that work we promised you is, sorry, we were just dancing, TikToking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the, the critical one for me, and there's a really recent case, and it's not strictly social media, but I think it's it's relatable. Is um, it's the employee recently, and I think we've already mentioned it on the podcast a few months ago that. Um, it, it was determined that she'd sent 1,260 text messages during work time between, I think, 1 June and 29 July, so in a two-month period. And, and I believe that was actually related to running an online business, like an Airbnb or something, a lot of the, a lot of the messages were. So in that sense, and again, it's not strictly social media in terms of the social media posting platform, but but electronic messages and um, the commission was unequivocal in that case in basically holding that that was, was clearly an issue in terms of productivity. But it's certainly something that uh, a lot of people need to address on the policy level in advance, and especially, and I'm not in any way disparaging uh, young kids and, 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 you know, the generation of my own children that have got a very different relationship to social media and in particular their phones. A, person's phone, a young person's phone is an extension of of themselves in a sense. So there's certain contexts and I think retail, hospitality are, are clear contexts where you need to create policies around the use to make sure that your expectations as an employer are completely transparent because what we might consider as a 40 something year old, I might think, well, of course you can't work in a restaurant and use your phone. text your use your phone um but but that 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 of course is 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 my is my generation's view yes. only so you know otherwise it, it needs to be made completely clear what what is acceptable and what's not i think uh that they're the obvious examples you know retail hospitality but i think that it's a you know even more so in a sense in an office environment where you can have quite a relaxed policy there's no reason people can't continue with their lives you know message their significant others or friends or something throughout the work day to a, to a certain extent but where you've got someone sending you know 1200 messages over a two-month period that's going to eat into your bottom line from a productivity perspective um, when someone's you know on the clock um, being paid for for work so you know we've got a couple of things that we you know obviously i think most employers now really need to have a social media policy um in particular if you've got particular concerns either about reputation bullying or about just maintaining productivity that social media policy apart from being very helpful in terms of actually encouraging or inducing the 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 type of behavior that you want to see Policies are also really useful in this dismissal context when it comes to the pointy end and you have to make difficult decisions or communicate difficult decisions. I think social media policies are really important. Um, I think the critical things of any policy needs to have, it needs to define who is covered by the policy. It defines um, what conduct is covered by the policy. So for example, uh, are we talking about usage in both working and non-working hours? Um, company accounts, 
private accounts, the extent to which you allow your employees to identify themselves as an employee of your company online, and, and the extent to which you wish to control their use of um, or the, you know, the expression of their opinions that may relate to your work or your product. And you know, there's some dangers there. There's been some cases already. There was that case a few years ago about um, freedom of political expression and on Twitter. Um, of course, it would be Twitter that <laughs> <laughs> that one comes That's up. Right. But um, so be a little bit care, but be a little bit careful. But at the same time, an employer has a right to actually, you know, control their reputation as far as their own employees are, go. So, so make that clear in the policy if there's an expectation about what they can and can't talk about. Um, define in your policy whether work devices, if there are work devices, can be used to post on social media. As I said before, prohibit any comments that criticise the employer or would be likely to damage reputation. The policy may prohibit employees from referring to the employer um, or, or identifying themselves as, as working for the employer. Um, prohibit the publication or commentary of confidential information or sensitive information um, which shouldn't be disclosed to third parties online. That could be an important aspect of the policy. Define how and when company brands and slogans may be used online. That's another thing that policies often contain. Educate the employees about the things we're talking about in the policy too. You know, be transparent about the fact that social media use out of work could result in disciplinary action or termination of employment if misused. Uh, also consider that raising the issue of bullying and harassment and how, how easily um, electronic platforms or social media platforms can contribute to a to a sort of a toxic work environment and I think that's the other point uh, what might be harmless fun sitting in a room all together expressed online sometimes can have an element of hostility that is absolutely not intended but can be received that way and we've all seen that well, I'm sure we've all received emails or electronic messages or text messages that we sort of get affronted by and there's no no intention there. As we learned last week or last podcast, make sure you use an emoji oh, if, yeah. you're, if you're joking. <laughs> Even if you're not joking, just, just yeah. use an emoji. <laughs> make things smoother. I, uh, I, I think so. I think so. And I certainly as a sort of an older guy, well, not so, I'm not super old, but older than you guys, it took me a while to actually, because I was like, emojis are for kids, right? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to use an emoji. People aren't going to take me seriously. But understanding that you do actually have to add expression sometimes to your electronic communications, people will take, in the absence of any kind of emoji, people will take whatever you say at absolute face value. And you're not always sure exactly what that means. So, you know, we're big emoji fans at work. <laughs> Often... The policy is not going to be enough, but in those circumstances, if you have one, it's going to help you if you need it before the commission. And and like all policies, again, the final note on policies is make sure they are enforced equally. Like it's yeah, equally, yeah. they have to be a real thing. You can't just have it in the have it in the in the filing cabinet, ready to hit someone over the head with it when you <laughs> when you don't like them. So yeah, it needs to be a real real life living breathing part of the work and. And that is a consideration the Commission will look at in these contexts. That's pretty much it, unless you guys have got to add anything. Sounds good. Yeah. That's social media. What we will also discuss, and we haven't today, those social media platforms that relate to work. 
And sometimes, and I'm really thinking of LinkedIn, that's the main one, but, you know, there's sometimes some Twitter accounts as well that, that have a professional basis. And I think when you start looking at who owns the account, who owns the kind of proprietary valuable interests within them, that can be a really interesting topic. And I think we'll just defer that for another day, I think, because that's going into different territory, but we'll, we'll, we'll come back. Yeah. We'll come back to that one. Next, the game, the new game that still has that well, a name. Say, does it have a name? To tweet or not to tweet, or would you would tweet? Would you tweet it? Would you tweet it? <laughs> the Twitter game for non-tweeters. <laughs> Who wants to go first? We've got, we've got two each. Remembering the rule is... 140 words maximum, although I'm not going to count, so that's just a guideline. <laughs> and then we need to vote the tweetability or the retweetability. Is it, one, irresistibly retweetable, two, retweetable, three, not very tweetable, and four, totally boring? <laughs> so harsh. That's workplace bullying <laughs> if I've ever seen it. Um, what do you got? News and employment. Um, Who got, who's going first? Shall I start? Yeah, if you like. Um, right. So I think I've actually mentioned this one, but I found some more detail on it. The Victorian government has accepted, in principle, the recommendations made by the Ministerial Task Force on Workplace Sexual Harassment, prohibiting the use of NDAs in workplace sexual harassment matters. Wasn't this yours last time? Well, that's what time? I was about to say, but I found some more information on it. So Okay, good. <laughs> Listen, I just said that. Um, it's already a retweet. Like this is a retweet from a last retweet week. of a retweet. This Sorry. is how Twitter works, Brian. <laughs> I think I'm not on it. So specifically, the task force the task force recommended mirroring the Irish bill on the same topic, which would right. um, prevent employers from entering into NDAs unless it's the expressed wish and preference of the employee, which is really interesting. So unless so, right. it's only if the employee themselves wants to remain anonymous, then will they uh, and that can they enter into an NDA? It has to be their yeah. they volunteer into it, and then even then, the Irish Bill contains some um, so, some restrictions on what you're allowed to put in there. Like the 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 uh, alleged victim or a victim is um, yeah. allowed to still speak to friends and family, mental health professionals, um, future employers about what happened right. that's tweetable to me it's not irresistible oh, no it's fine <laughs> there's only so much you can fit with 140 characters i know i know what do you got emily um so mine is about the workplace relation minister tony burke who delivered a speech this afternoon and this afternoon. Yes, and call the Uber-style labor contract a cancer on the Australian economy, extending its tentacles to aged care, the NDIS and security. And so the government will launch a talk with manager players on how to extend traditional employees' rights to the gigs workers. So they will starting to, they really want to tackle that. Yeah, yeah. Great. a cancer on the Australian yes. economy. That's what is Uber, like yeah. talk about Deliveroo, uh, all of this. Type. That is very strong. It's quite strong. I hadn't heard that, and as such, I find that irresistibly tweetable. tweetable. <laughs> Definitely, I would tweet it. Yeah, I'm going to say retweetable. 
uh, retweetable, just the second level tweetable. That's not so. irresistible. Yeah, I'm saving it for something okay. big. Hey Emily, did you vote no, on this? I did not, but I want to say mid tweetable. I don't know what is uh... like the third. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just tweetable. <laughs> tweetable. I think that's so bold. I'm going to talk a bit about that as well, and it actually follows on Deliveroo full bench decisions. Yes. So um, Commissioner Cambridge's single decision from ages ago now, but we've we've certainly podcasted on it in uh, Diego Franco and Deliveroo that had found him to be an employee. Mm. That was appealed to the full bench. The, the full bench decision was deferred awaiting the, the High Court decision in personal contracting. W without some degree of disapproval, uh, the, the full bench has overturned that decision yeah. um, in that. Now, Andrew Stewart has come out and this came through for workplace express i've gone over my 140 words sorry <laughs> but i'm going to agree with andrew stewart he's come out and said in response you know in, in particular noting the disapproval of the full bench and how their hands are really were tied by personnel contracting um and and has called for a either statutory definition of of employee or at least a statutory presumption of employment Oh, interesting. In the in the Fair Work Act and, and summing a position he's had for 20 years, and I agree wholeheartedly. Mm. But I think that's probably big news, but we saw it coming after personal contracting, I think. Yeah. But still, I rank that as, what was the irresistibly retweetable? It was... Yeah, you, you can make it up. Like, it's just, yeah, whatever your word is, it's tweetable. Fine. But I'll take it <laughs> super duper tweetable. Yeah. I'll take super duper. All right. Emily, what's your thoughts on the delivery for Highly bench? tweetable. Highly tweetable. Yeah. Yeah, Ironically, I was meaning to actually post about that and then things got so busy that I didn't, but <laughs> I did yeah. need to. But, but it's one of those things that everybody posts. Yes, you know, people knew. Somebody else is going to post The people we found it? out, yeah. yeah. I was snowboarding, so I didn't care at the time. Well, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That can wait till I'm finished snowboarding. Yeah, no worries. Second, what do you got? Uh, more from Victoria, funnily enough. Um, so the Victorian Civil and Administrative Tribunal held that. You stolen mine again. No, well, I was going to talk anyway, about Deliveroo and you, chose, you stole that one. So. Um, <laughs> what you get? Sorry. VCAT, yeah, start but... again. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so the VCAT has held that a dental practice discriminated against a casual dental assistant for being a mother of two. So the casual assistant was fired and replaced with a permanent worker, and the employer cited a need for more stability at the workplace as the reason for the termination. And so for a bit of context, the applicant had had to change her shifts during COVID to allow her to homeschool her two children. Um, and so... That, that's that's where that came from in terms of the employers suggesting that there needs to be more stability. So she was, the the, the dental assistant was awarded $10,000 for economic loss and, and um, 2000 in general damages. Yeah, I mean, I read the decision, I was going to talk about it too, but yeah, to sort of refer to somebody else's family responsibilities as causing stability issues for your employer. Yeah. Like you, can, you can phrase it any way you like, but, it, it, you know, substantially, the family responsibilities was a substantial operating factor on that decision and that's discriminatory by any test yeah absolutely so that's super duper but, uh, retweetable is that what i'm hearing well given it was on my list i think i have to i'm Maybe. i'm stuck with unbelievably retweetable <laughs> so you get this <laughs> full marks there what about you 
Emily, what do you think of the thing? Yeah, I agree. I almost took it, so I say I. Oh, yeah. did you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. What you got for your second one? So my second one is about the Fairwick Ombudsman, who, which earlier this month said that they recorded um, 532 million recovery of unpaid wages and entertainment for the last financial year. So that's wow. the highest wow. level so far, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, How much? 530 million. 532 million yeah, for wow. the last financial yeah. year. And it was dominated largely by large corporates and caused in part by ineffective governance, a lack of investment in payroll system, expertise and auditing, and in some cases by complacency or the adoption of high-risk workplace relation strategy yeah, right. without adequate controls. And, it, and it's interesting too, because you talk about the large corporates, but I think, and I don't quote me on this about the last financial year, but I know that Woolworths and Coles have both been included at least in the last couple of years. And when you're talking about a society that has a retail duopoly, when both those guys are in the frame for underpayments, I think, you know, you've got a problem, yeah. don't you? You know, they, you can just expect those large corporations to do better. Right. Like the financial mean, like to at least make sure they have proper audits, uh, proper payroll system yeah. and have a wage bureau check um, yeah yeah well a year or so ago Woolworths came out and said the award was too complicated and it's like <laughs> come on yeah yeah that they, they are a bit complicated but there's plenty of smart people that you can have on, yeah. on your payroll that can work out. Um, totally especially that's right yeah <laughs> that's it yeah i that would be super duper unbelievably retweetable because it's such a big number but again just my objection because the firmament themselves I, I can't give them i can't give it irresistible it's got to be a it's got to be a, a three it's tweetable. i'm giving it because that's a big number yeah. yeah no i'll give it irresistible i've I gotta say yeah okay that's i'm gonna go back to andrew stewart again Ooh. comments that he's made again to workplace express and i think is really interesting is he's made some cob comments about the need for the current government to rebalance the Fair Work Commission over the last however long, how long do we have coalition for, for, for nine years that really the Fair Work Commission, there's been a lot of appointments and they needed to make appointments because they were too busy. So they've made the appointments, but there is a, a strong view that there are too many appointees that have been appointed by the coalition government that needs rebalancing. Now as a preliminary thing, and I've said this to you guys a million times, I, I have huge respect for the Fair Work Commission as an institution, and I don't believe that they are as politically motivated as people often say. I mean, you've only got to look across to SCOTUS and what's happened in America with, with the Trump appointees and now overturning Rowan Wade and stuff and see, okay, that's political judicial work. I think the Fair Work Commission, obviously, they're, they're specialists, and they're industrial specialists and they all have to come from backgrounds of, of industrial specialization. So from that point of view, there's always going to be a worldview that they adopt that is based on their industrial experience. And, and you require them to do that because that's what an expert tribunal is supposed to do. So obviously you're going to get some 
but I don't know that it needs rebalancing quite to the extent that um, Andrew Stewart says. But I think his idea is really interesting, so that's why I wanted to share them. Um, that he identified the fact that um, you know President Ross is is reaching retirement mm. age soon and needs to be replaced, but also Catanza Reedy, Commissioner Cambridge, um, Commissioner Bissett, um, and are all going to retire before some of the new appointees. Um, so whether or not in the current term, um, a sort of that the Labor can rebalance effectively is a, is a, is a question mark. Mm. So, so he's proposed two models for rebalancing. First one is to blow up the commission altogether, which is basically, you know, um, create a new tribunal with new appointments. Um, which is quite an extreme measure and and I, I don't think that's going to happen it's not likely to happen mm. tony burke has said that he's not you know even the, the guy that i've just found out is called uber a cancer on the economy is not going to blow up the commission <laughs> so the other thing and this is the one i really agree with is is to extend the powers of the commission and he cited the south australian model that i've told you guys about i i, I support wholeheartedly of the south australian employment tribunal which is sort of quasi-judicial and they have additional functions that the Fair Work Commission don't have. And in particular, the the capacity to arbitrate underpayment matters, which I think yeah. would be a great idea. But Andrew Stewart's proposal is, is basically to extend some of the judicial functions of the Federal Circuit Court to the Fair Work Commission, which, which might then, obviously there's some constitutional issues there, which I don't really want to get bogged down on because I think I'm past my 140 words. I think you already. might be. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> it's an interesting idea because I think if you then extend the functions, take some pressure off the Federal Circuit Court, you need more appointees and that would then have that have that um, rebalancing. So while I'm partly saying I don't think it needs to be rebalanced as much as Professor Stewart says, I, I do think that third idea of the extension of powers is a great idea um, and I'd be a supporter of that. Yeah, I'd tweet it, stir the pot, let's You'd do tweet it. it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just a normal Yeah, me, me too. Um, wow, when, if only you had spoken you about the VCAT decision, it would have been so I know. I know. So, Solid, sorry. Okay, we've all ended on 14 points. Uh, so it's a tie. We decided not to do the movies anymore. And I realised I've gone back and, you know, we reviewed nine movies. I think we should be quite proud of ourselves. Yeah. Oh, the perfect ten. I didn't realise that was that many. And it started as a COVID lockdown thing because we were home every night with nothing to do. I think lately it's become a little bit of a chore, I guess, to watch movies, especially as we've watched all the good ones. So we'll knock that on the head and, well, at least until we get a public health order locking us down again for... um, whatever happens next in the COVID era. But I thought I'd summarise the results because they're kind of interesting. So if you can bear with me. Just out of interest, which which movie do you reckon won for your memory? Uh, And you weren't on all of them either. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I'm not I wasn't, yeah. Is it A Few Good Men maybe? I was thinking of the, I mean, obviously Legally Blonde got a lot of, got a lot of votes, but you weren't entirely on board. So I don't think it was that. I know. And I actually looking at the scores. All right, I'll give you the scores. Okay. A few good men. So I gave it an eight. You gave it a nine, Essie. Mm. Emily, you gave it an eight. Average eight point three three. Legally blonde, mm. I gave it a six point five, which I feel a bit bad yeah. for doing. But Courtney gave it a ten, yeah. which I think made up for my <laughs> six point five. Essie gave it an eight. 
And Emily, you gave it a 6.5, got a 7.75. On the basis of sex, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was nice. I gave that an 8.5. Essie, you gave it an 8.1. Yep. Because I think you were starting to go into a bit of lockdown fever at that stage. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Courtney gave it a 7.95, which gives it an average of (laughs) 8.18. Trial of the the Chicago 7. Oh, yeah. I I gave it an 8.5. Essie, you gave it a 9 and Courtney gave it a 9. I've got an 8.8. I watch all of those movies with you guys. Where were you? <laughs> she watched them, but she wasn't on the podcast, yeah. I think. No, I can't remember. You did watch yeah, them. Yeah, right? I did. Yeah, yeah. I'm reliving well, we these, all, I mean, was, as you, as you say. We that. weren't allowed to go out. Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing to do. I was watching multiple movies every <laughs> yeah. night. Now that I'm allowed to go to the pub, I'm less keen to watch more movies. Not so. Legally Blonde 2 isn't on the list. <laughs> it's not on the list. Okay, here we go. Rainmaker, 7.5 from me. John Grisham, Matt Damon, this is. Mm. 7 from Essie. 5 from Jessica. Guest appearance from Jessica. So I'm glad, I'm glad we didn't have Jessica on too many. I think that's dwarfed the scores a little bit. She did not like that movie. It was boring. You fell asleep like three times. No, that's a different oh, was one. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That was the devil's avocado. Oh, maybe it was me who fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit surprised. I remembered it being better, but I think I read the book. Yeah. And I really liked the book because I really liked John Grisham yeah. as a novelist. My cousin Vinny got an eight from me, a 7.9 from Essie, and a 7.7 from Courtney. Again, the lockdown fever. <laughs> We were getting so particular. I feel like 7.5 would have been fine, but. That's what I thought at the time. But yeah, you were very, I think you had a rationale. It was all about how, what score you'd given other movies. Um, 12 Angry Men. Uh I gave it a 9.5. That's very high. Essie gave it an 8. Courtney gave it an 8.5. So it was an 8.66 finish. I feel like I should have given it something higher. Sorry, go on. I'll stop commenting. (laughs) (laughs) The Devil's Advocate. I didn't score it because I fell asleep so many times, but I did go back and watched it and I liked it. Yeah. I liked it when I was awake <laughs> enough to watch the whole thing. Essie, you gave it a seven. Emily gave it an eight. That's a 7.5. And then The Firm. Oh, that was really bad. 6.5 from me, six from Essie, 5.5 from <laughs> Emily. <laughs> it's funny. I see that as being one of the most iconic law movies kind of almost ever. But when you actually yeah. watched it, it was it was uh, poor. Maybe wasn't the it? book, but the movie. Same, but then we got the two John Grisham yeah. ones came second last, second last and last. So the winner was the Trial of the Chicago Seven. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess that makes sense. That was a really good one. It was good. Shortly followed by Twelve Angry Men, which was seventy years. I feel old. like I should have put Twelve so Angry that's... Men higher. I remember really enjoying that movie. Like out of out yeah. of the ones you've listed. Yeah, I just remember it being good. Well, they were first and second. Yeah, so okay. So first, second, third was A Few Good Men. Hmm. Honourable mention on the basis of sex, Legally Blonde, fifth, and the rest were also ran. So hmm. there you go. That was fun, though. It was a fun thing to do. And they're good movies, if anyone's <laughs> listening. Like, those top three are really yeah. good movies, I think. As I... While we're on the stats, my average was 7.88. Ooh. Essie's was 7.77. Really? Emily's was seven. It's because of that 5.5. 5. 
Courtney's was 8.63. Nice. I think she might just be a nicer person than any of us. I think so. She's more of an optimist, that one. Um, you gave 9.5 to, wait, which one was it? 12 Angry Men. I know. Yeah. But I loved it. I was really captivated by it. And I did say that I gave it half a mark extra. Because it's. Because of its age, which is probably not not fair. They should stand on their own. Yeah, but still, like sometimes of some movies, they, when they get old, they not quite anymore. No. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I think there's a few aspects probably of the firm yeah. that were that too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so there you go. So we're going to have to come up with a fun activity for the podcast well, that doesn't involve movie watching. I've been saying for a while we what should do the you? same thing but with series. You know, we do The Good Wife, Suits. Oh. That won't take any time up at all. You know, just binge watch a couple of series. <laughs> we have to binge watch a whole series before we oh each podcast. I think it's going to be harder yeah. than the movie. Anyway, we'll, we'll think about it. But that's it. So that's social media wrapped up. That's also our movie review wrapped up. Thanks for listening, if you still are. If you want some help with social media or if you want some advice or help with a social media policy, as we say, it's a really useful tool for businesses for the reasons we've talked about today. Otherwise, thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.